Welcome to Locked On NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Wes Goldberg, Warriors beat reporter for the Mercury News and host of Locked On Warriors, here with David Ramil, the host of Locked On Heat. And on today's show, we discuss what an early start of the NBA season means for the league's top contenders, the most interesting storylines of the offseason, Pat Riley's asterisk comment, and what is the most overrated Halloween candy? You are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. The NBA Board of Governors last week discussed plans to start next season on December 22nd, which would condense what is normally a four-month offseason into two months. There's a ton of ripple effects based on an early start, but what I want to focus on is how this impacts the contending teams, David, because for teams like the Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, the Celtics, the Heat, they're going to have less than three months off before the start of next season after a long stay in the bubble. A condensed regular season schedule probably means more back-to-backs. I have a hard time believing that star players like LeBron and and Kawhi, that they're going to be okay going back to camp in early December. But then again, you know, the league thinks it can make an extra $500 million by starting then. And money talks, right? That's that's $500 million that are going to be split some way or the other between, you know, the owners and the players. David, what are your thoughts on a December start? At first, my feeling was that it was – again, like you pointed out, going to be a huge negative, like having to rush these teams, get them through that process. It's going to be as close to chaotic as the NBA offseason ever gets. And look, there's always an element of chaos to it. There's always a lot of fun. And the short window between the draft for agency and all the noise that that brings and then the start of training camp, usually ten- things tend to wind down there uh, around late August, the dog days of the NBA offseason. We won't have that now. So it's going to be pure chaos for at least the next couple of months, at least if this plan moves forward. But the more I think about it, I think the real the reality is that players are going to take games off during the 72-game regular season, if that's in fact what happens. And players tend to work out all the time anyway. There, it's a year-round mm-hmm. schedule for most players. I don't think there's going to be any kind of dramatic drop-off. I don't think there's going to be an increased risk of injury. I mean, you're going to see players have to kind of take into consideration, similarly as they went into the bubble, their, their, their health and how quickly they recover. I think the league has to put forward at least some kind of plan to minimize travel and things of that sort so that it won't put as much of a drain on players if they do wind up having this condensed schedule. Maybe it will be back-to-backs, but maybe you'll see a team traveling into New York and playing maybe the Raptors, the, the Nets, and, and the Knicks all within you know a seven-day period or something along those lines so you don't have to travel as much in between teams. I, I mean, it could work out in many different ways. But my feeling is that the league will probably put something together that works towards the players and and make sure that they get the most out of this process. Look, I'm done questioning the league because I thought the whole bubble was going to be a chaotic mess. I think I thought the experiment was going to blow up in everybody's faces. And clearly I was wrong about that. And so I, I, you know, while I thought the players would be at risk and look, there's still a, an element of risk here because of course there is still a pandemic going on, even though everybody seems to have forgotten that and players will be traveling and it won't be a bubble situation. But at the same time, I feel like the, the league will do enough to ensure their player safety. Yeah, and there's like they pick a 72 game schedule, and, and I thought John Hollinger from the Athletic did a nice job breaking down why that was. There's a lot of ways that they can kind of go about scheduling these games um, yeah. in order to reduce travel, like you were talking about. They they can just limit it to conference games where you play everybody in your division eight times and everybody else in you know outside in your conference but outside the division four times or something like that, or you know you do that but three times outside the division and do ten games from the opposite conference. There's ways to figure it out where. Um, you can pretty much you, you can stay pretty tight regionally 
And, and what that does, obviously, is it helps, you know, alleviate those back-to-backs, alleviate the travel, because really the back-to-back thing, like, if, if, if you know, the Miami Heat, for example, go to New York and they play the Knicks on a Saturday and the Brooklyn Nets on a Sunday on a back-to-back, that's not as grueling as if they played the Knicks on a Saturday and then had to travel to, you know, Detroit on Sunday. You're not, yeah. you could stay in one hotel overnight in New York, or, you know, you could take a one hour bus ride back from the place and go to a hotel closer in Brooklyn, as opposed to having to, to, you know, get on a plane and do all the and pack and do all these things and you get no sleep and then you have to go practice and shoot around and, and then play another game. So if you can reduce travel, it helps a lot of things. The one thing is, we saw a, a schedule like this happen in 2011, 2012, when they right. started in December and ended in June. And, you know, that was a season where they had back-to-back-to-backs, three games in three days. And that, and it didn't have a lot of them, but every team, I think, had at least one of them. And that, I just don't see the NBA Players Association signing off on anything that involves a back-to-back-to-back situation. But right. if you kind of eliminate the All-Star weekend, you can still name All-Stars, but you, don't, you just don't have the event itself. Um, there's, there's talks, at least in the initial reports, of a two-week break in between anyway, which would be right. equivalent to what the All-Star break is anyway. So it's, it's, I mean, there's still going to be a hiatus in the middle of the season for players to kind of take some time off. I mean, yes, no, no parties, no the, the rush of, of All-Star weekend and everything that entails, but at the same time, still a break for players to kind of uh, wind down for a little bit, get away for a little bit as much as possible uh, in the middle of the season. But at the yeah. same time, I, I think you're right. Look, that was 66 games right back in 2011, 2012, a 66 game season. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just a little bit more. I, they just can't, they'll have to stretch it out. It, it'll be a, a weird window, but again, starting it, it, it right around the same time, if I recall correctly, a 2011 season started right around that same period, late December or mid to late December. And then having 72 games, I think we're going to see similar structure, at least where the, the season will wind up probably ending in August or September, as opposed to, you know, July when it normally does. Um, June. But uh, I, I think that I, I just, what happens when a team tests positive or something like that? We've seen it happen in major league baseball and the NFL. You need to provide some sort of flexibility in order to, you know, reschedule games and things like that you're right. The The schedule can end up going a little bit longer than it was and a two week break in the middle of the year. It, it seems that's like a lot, that's a lot of time to give off. I actually don't think that, that I know there were some initial reports of that happening. It seems, you know, more likely to me that maybe it's a week break in between instead of two weeks or something like that, because you hmm. need every night counts. Right. Hmm. Um, so I don't know how, I don't know exactly how they're going to do it. My, my other concern too is you're, you're going to have teams like the Lakers who just got done playing two weeks ago. And yeah, you've got like the delete eight teams, like the Warriors who, you know, are expected to be contenders next year. They've had seven months off and you compare that to the Lakers who have, as we're recording this 15 days since they've won the since they won the finals in a really exhausting bubble environment, more exhausting than I think what, than a regular playoffs would really be, but we, we don't, we can argue that we don't have to do that today, but um that's not a lot of time off. You're, you're asking the Lakers to basically take their typical off season, which would be four months and cut it in half. And a team like the Warriors now, their usual off season of four months is, is doubled to eight months. That is a huge discrepancy and could have real meaningful competitive effects because it might not impact the, the teams at the beginning of the season, 
Right. Like if, I actually think a team like the Lakers would benefit from this shortened thing. Cause they're just a couple months removed from playing championship caliber basketball. That's a good point. Sure. But, and, and the, the Warriors would need probably about two weeks, especially if they don't have a preseason. We have no talk of a preseason right now. Right. They would need probably a week or two to really get in the swing of things and figure out their lineups and, and find and build some chemistry with, you know, a team that hasn't played together in almost more well, more than a calendar year, they're going to need some time. And so that could, that can, you know, for teams like the Warriors, they could stumble out of the gates while teams like the Lakers and Nuggets and Clippers and Heat and Celtics are just sort of rolling right as this thing begins. But for those contending teams that were in the bubble late in the postseason, they could hit a wall in March and April where those other teams like the Warriors are so fresh and they're just getting rolling by the time the postseason is starting. That could, that could be a huge difference maker. Yeah, I, I mean, that's always uh, the possibility, which is why I assume that, you'll see players take games off. I mean, I think, you know, Eric Spolstra and the heat culture and everything else, a team that always, you know, they always pride themselves on, on pushing their players and things of that sort. Even then, I think they took a, a much more level-headed approach to, you know, giving players days off and things of that sort. So I, I think, you know, I think we'll start to see more of that incorporated around the league. I, I think it just has to be. You have, I don't know. You can't work that into the agreement, but at the same time, like players will have to understand nothing like this has ever been done before. And that's the same approach they took going to the bubble. Nobody had ever seen what that was like, and no one knew what that was going to But those games, if, they, if they're taking off games, like you're losing 10 games off the schedule. Every game matters just a little bit more now, right? You know, you're right. It's a risk. You have to kind of figure it out. I mean, and maybe for those teams that are at that top tier – including the Warriors, I'd say, even though they weren't in the playoffs yeah. last year for a number of reasons, I, I think, you know, you kind of have to balance it out whether or not it's worth taking a day off in the middle of the 72-game season in order to preserve your, your health going into the postseason or whether or not you have to contend and push for as much as possible. And maybe, maybe as you pointed out, though, that's where that quick start kind of helps them balance that out. Maybe you, you start off playing the first 30 games as much as you possibly can, and then towards the tail end of that 72-game season, mm-hmm. then you start to take more and more days off, more load maintenance and things of that sort. Yeah, and all these things that we're talking about are sort of ripple effect minor details, you know, in, in the context of the league's main motivation, it seems right now. I think it was even a month ago, play 82 games in front of fans, and it seems to have shifted. And that's really what the difference is, right? When we started Absolutely. hearing this December 22nd date and everybody was surprised, the, the, the priority for the league has shifted to let's just get back to a regular schedule and whatever happens, happens. But there, right. I think we're, gonna, we're talking about some of the consequences of, some, of a start like that right now. And there's going to be other unintended consequences that I'm sure that we haven't talked about just yet. But um, a number of things. And, and look, we, we just got done talking about LeBron as the GOAT and the LeBron versus MJ debate. And if, if LeBron gets one more title, if he gets a fifth title and the, and the Lakers should be considered the favorites going into next season – but if they are not rested enough to adequately defend their championship, you know, that's, <laughs> that has a, a big effect when, it talk, when we're talking about the history of the league here. I don't mean to jump the gun, but it's, these are all the kind of things that I'm thinking about, David. It's just, I just, it seems really, really rushed to me. And you're going to have a lot of teams trying to rush through this offseason as well, which is what we're going to talk about next. The most interesting storylines of the offseason here on Locked on NBA. But first, David, tell our listeners about Rock Auto. Well, you know, what's interesting is that with an ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's almost impossible to stock all the parts you might need in a traditional chain storefront. So why would you endure pointless or intimidating questions while the person behind the counter orders the parts you're looking for on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You've got computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business 
serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. That's two decades of service where you can choose from hundreds of manufacturers on their easy to use site and you'll get everything you need with just a few easy clicks delivered safely and directly to your door. Why spend more for the exact same parts at a chain store or even worse at a car dealership? RockAuto.com's low prices are the same for everybody. So go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and then go to their How Did You Hear About Us section and enter Locked On so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car or truck will ever need. That's RockAuto.com. So with this new proposed schedule, the NBA draft still stays on November 18th. Um, I think we'll have the, the, we'll have the free agency period start shortly after that. And then I guess if this thing starts on December 22nd, you're going to have training camp starting at the beginning of December. So you're only left, I guess, with a, a couple of weeks to figure out your entire team going into next yeah. season, which yeah. means not only is next season going to be a mad dash and a sprint to the end, but this offseason is going to be a sprint in and of itself. Uh, I wanted with that to get to some of the most interesting storylines of this offseason. And we talked about them a little bit already, but I, I, I go directly to the Lakers. And I don't mean to just sort of keep talking about the Lakers and pound the Lakers, but the league right now, as because they're championships, because they're champions, run through the Lakers, the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. And I think whatever they do kind of sets the stage for everything else. If they stand pat, you could see teams being able to scout them and potentially match up with them. I think with the Clippers, with as weird as their bubble experience was, you could argue that they could come back. Kawhi goes on, you know, some sort of revenge tour and really I, I, and, and challenge the Lakers. You could see Denver continuing to get better. You could see Miami or Boston get back to where they were. Milwaukee have a better uh, experience in the postseason. I think that as the Lakers are, cons- are currently constructed, there are teams that could challenge them. But the Lakers could also go ahead – and, and make a bunch of moves to improve this team. Let's keep in mind, the Lakers were built kind of messy this last offseason. A lot of people were giving Rob Palenka, the GM, a lot of crap. Oh, you're signing Rajon Rondo. You're signing Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee. I mean, what are you doing? Like the misfits, like this is what you're doing. And it right. ended up working out. But they're not going to have to they're not going to have to settle for the misfits this offseason, right, David? Like this is a team that just won the championship. We've seen LeBron teams in the past get – ring-chasing veterans to sign for the minimum or something close to it, they're going to be more like that this time around than they were this, as opposed to what they were this last offseason. So the Lakers have a lot of ways, even with veteran minimum contracts, to improve this team. They're going to have the mid-level exception. To me, they're interesting because they can either use, you know, this five, $6 million mid-level exception. They could use a $10 million $10 million. Uh, exception if they want to start getting hard capped and go into that sort of mess. And that kind of depends on what the league dis- wants to do with the luxury tax, et cetera, but whatever, that could be an option for them. And then, and if, well, and just to stay there for a second, David, like that's a, but the difference between a $5 million player and a $10 million is substantial. Like a $10 million can really help that team. A $5 million can help that team a little bit, but if they decide to just go all the way in and pay as much luxury tax as they want, then they could just improve their team with the mid-level exception. And then there's the option of making a trade. And that's kind of what I wanted to talk about here because there's a lot of players that I think could be on the trade market here, David. And the Lakers have at least the contracts to stack up. If you just take Danny Green and Kyle Kuzma and, and Avery Bradley, I mean, that's anywhere between 19 and $24 million that they could trade for. That's enough to go and get, or at least match salaries, I should say, 
with for guys like Drew Holiday, Victor Oladipo, Buddy Heald, Zach Levine, Terry Rozier. I think guys that can really help that team. So to me, the Lakers um, are are sort of at the forefront of everything this offseason. What they do could dictate what the rest of the league does in order to try to match up with them. See, I, I feel like you're kind of baiting me here to talk about the, the Lakers, uh, rubbing more salt in the wound after just a couple of weeks, finally, <laughs> you know, after their finals. Uh, you know, listen, I, I, I kind of disagree about that. I don't know that they're going to be the preeminent movers and shakers that you kind of make them out to be. And I, I think that kind of ties into my point or my feeling as far as the interesting offseason storyline is what kind of moves will be available. Like, the, rea- the reality is here is that the league is rushing through this in order to get the next season rolling with their eyes looking ahead to the following season after that, right? So they can try to establish some sense of normalcy that maybe there'll be fans available at that point in time that will be in arenas and they can start to really recoup the majority of their losses over the last couple of seasons having been cut short or in this case, you know, a reduced schedule. So I, I don't, I don't think that there's going to be that much moving and shaking. Everybody always goes into these off seasons expecting huge sweeping moves that there's going to be players moved for this or a trade's going to happen. And then generally they wind up being a lot quieter than we go into it, you know, thinking that it's going to happen. Look, that wasn't I, the case last summer. What happened last summer? Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, yeah, Anthony was Davis. That really? Well, look at that. But okay. That's a great point. I understand. At the same time, it, it, I mean, the late, the obviously the Lakers move that was kind of predestined that was going to happen for at least a full calendar year before that. Ever since he signed with Clutch, the the reality is though that the the Kawhi move fell short. It was a lot of noise at the time, but maybe it, it was just that it was just didn't really seem like it was changing the NBA landscape, especially not with the hiatus taking place in the middle of the season and impacting everything. I, I don't know. I, look, I think changes were going to be made, but at the same time, given the fact that you have two months, my point about the shortened off season is I think it's actually a benefit for teams that stay pat because you'll have that kind of consistency. Like, yes, you want to tweak your roster. Yes. You want to make changes, but at the same time, you want to have that same kind of flow. I mean, if the Lakers were to make a change for a Drew holiday or an Oladipo or somebody along those lines, that would really drastically improve everything. And I mean, change everything. And, I mean, there's not going to be any kind of practice time given the fact that you're already going to be taking days off. There's not going to be that same kind of chemistry. You're not going to have the opportunity to get a flow or a feel for how you play with one another. It could be ugly basketball, similar to what we see during the preseason on a lot of occasions, except it'll be stretched out for a couple of months. I, I, I just don't know how you can incorporate a player of that caliber seamlessly, especially if you don't have any time to really prepare. And given I the mean, fact that it, it, so, he's going to start a couple weeks before the season, that's going to be weird. I mean, again, like like look at last week, or last year, or the typical season. You start free agency in July 1st. You sign your contract as soon as you possibly can. You could start working out through all of August. You, you have these these teams that, con, you know, that converge on like um, Florida or California or places like that where they wind up having all these activities taking place and they wind up practicing together, bonding and all these other things. And then they have a good feel for how to play with one another by the time the preseason starts in mid-September. That's not going to happen now. I, I just I feel like uh, a team that stays pat probably has a better advantage than the teams that make sweeping changes. And I think for that reason, you can see a lot of teams try to re-sign their own free agents. But then when – and look, maybe you're right. Maybe the Lakers just are better off saying, you know what, let's just run this thing back. Let's just re-sign Rondo, re-sign Dwight Howard, re-sign all these guys, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, and let's just try to run this thing back. I will say that LeBron teams do tend to make changes, and I will err on the side of them making changes. And if they can go and get a Victor Oladipo or a Zach Levine, I think it makes a lot of sense for them. But mm-hmm. – 
what about, but they don't have to. And maybe, and maybe you're right. Maybe they're better off not. But then what if you're a team like the Clippers or the Bucks, and you're facing, you know, make or break years for your star player, Kawhi right. and Giannis, you sort of have to make changes. That's like if right. you're Milwaukee, what do you do with this? And, and do you rush a Chris Paul trade? Do you rush for a trade for something else? I mean, that, and I, I just wonder what you can do. And if you're the Thunder, do you like, and you're trying to rebuild, do you want to kind of move off of Chris Paul and see what you can get out of there? I think there's going to be a lot of changes. I am actually thinking that, that it's going to go the other way. Fortunately, in free agency, you don't have a Kawhi Leonard or a LeBron James type presence that can just sort of keep everything stopped until they make their decision. Like nobody's going to stop what they're doing and wait on Fred Van Vliet. You know what I mean? But uh, so I think from the get go, a lot of these trades and a lot of these signings could just all sort of start happening. And it's going to be like a whirlwind two weeks, I think, um, when it just comes to like major trades and minor trades and whatever free agent moves are going to be, because things are going to still happen regardless. Well, you can't afford to like wait, like even though right. July first is the you know, the deadline for for signing free agents. You know, guys tend to kind of delay the process. Maybe July eighth, maybe July tenth. You know, I can recall when when LeBron left to Cleveland back in two thousand fourteen. He, he signed on July. He announced it on July tenth. You don't have that kind of time. You can't just sit around going, hmm, let me see what happens. Maybe I'll feel it out. Maybe I'll go and get uh, recruited by all these different teams that those meetings have already been taking place or are currently taking place at this point. At least that's my feeling. Yeah. And these meetings don't really happen now, or let me, I guess they happen on zoom or whatever, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I do wonder, and look, I look again to teams like the Clippers and, and Milwaukee who played in the bubble, right? Like again, I cover the Warriors. They've had seven months to figure out what they want to do this off season. This doesn't affect them at all. But even, well, well even but, them though, like they're going to incorporate, at least a, a, a high draft pick and f- try to figure out how to get them into the rotation. There's also the, the that, possibility of a trade. them in that way. But as far as the actual moves they make, I pretty much, I think they have a feel for what they want to do. Sure. I mean, you know, the, the rotation is pretty set with Curry, uh, Clay, and, and Draymond. So, I mean, everybody but, else who kind of fits into that. Is but, but if you're the Clippers and you just flamed out in the playoffs in a way you did not expect, you have not had nearly as much time as the Warriors have had to plan their offseason. If you're Milwaukee and flamed out in the playoffs the way that you didn't expect, you're basically being asked to figure out the most pivotal offseason, uh, maybe in franchise history. Yeah, in especially if Kawhi is demanding a point guard too, and he's saying we need a point guard, we need somebody to help you know activate the offense and bring the ball down and get everything going, and they don't have that in that roster, so they have to make a change, and it's going to be a risk. Yeah, and I mean Steve Ballmer's pockets are pretty deep, so they'll they'll have to do whatever that's necessary in order to make those changes. But yes, you're right for a team like that with so much on the line, they're going to have to take that chance regardless of whether it pays off or not. Well, that'll do it for that segment. Pat Riley, though, is coming under fire for his comments about the NBA Finals. We'll talk about that next here on Locked On NBA. If you haven't now, it's a perfect time to hit that subscribe button to get episodes of Locked On NBA every day. Uh, David, you were on the media call when Pat Riley talked about an asterisk in regards to the NBA Finals. Can you explain a little bit more about what happened there? Yeah, I, I feel like the comments have been taken out of comment uh, out of context. But here's the exact quote from Riles. He said, "They beat us fair and squarely. They were the best team. But there's always going to be that asterisk, that caveat. If we had Bam and Goran, Goran was our leading scorer in the playoffs at 100. percent It could have gone to a seventh game. But I'm not going to look back at it. I'm just going to look at all the positive things in regards to the Heat and things of that sort. So that's the end of the quote. 
But at the same time, I, I feel like, like, and he includes that in his statement. And my feeling is that what was preceding this comment about the, the asterisk or the, the health of his players was, you know, they'll never know from the heat perspective, whether or not if Bam and Goran had been in this lineup, whether or not they could have challenged the Lakers more completely. And that was what he had been initially asked. He was asked how he looked at the finals in retrospect and whether or not he had considered what would have happened if those players had been healthy. At first he said, look, I don't, I don't want to look at it. You don't want to look back. You can't do it. You have to always move forward. But the more he kept talking about it and rehashing what happened, the more aggravated you could see him get. I mean, kind of playfully, but at the same time, clearly it still bugs him and it hurts him. I don't think there was any intended slight towards the Lakers. He has been very, very effusive in his praise of the Lakers and the fact that he they have a great player. He said the greatest player uh, in the NBA in LeBron James and a great player in Anthony Davis. So he, he, he definitely gave them their praise. And I think he acknowledged that the Lakers were a very good team. I don't think he was saying that they were a lesser team or anything like that. Everybody's been misinterpreted. And the asterisk talk has been such a dominant storyline for the last few months with the bubble and everything else and whether or not there has to be an asterisk attached to this. He didn't intend it that way. What it, what he meant was just the kind of like a placeholder, like thinking back about the season and going, damn, I wonder what would have happened if, if, if Bam and Goran had been healthy. Maybe things would have been different from the heat perspective, not about the Lakers being lesser or anything like that. And so people kind of just want to take a look at it and run with it. And he clarified that statement on Sunday too, to the AP's Tim Reynolds, he released a statement saying, no, it wasn't about the Lakers. It was about the Heat perspective. So people seem to have disregarded that. They just want to focus on Riley and call him an old retread and they should shut the hell up and things of that sort. It's kind of ridiculous. Again, I think it's been taken so wildly out of context because it just it seems inflammatory. And, of course, we all know the, the Lakers fans are the most thin-skinned in the NBA. And so, uh, obviously, they're going to be upset about anything that Riley had to say, despite the fact that he did guide that team to a number of championships back in the 80s. There is a little bit of Joe Biden talking about fracking element to this whole thing where you kind of have to sit back and, and kind of, you know, look at the large context of what he said and what he really means versus just the soundbite, right? Right. And with Pat Riley, there's definitely the soundbite of, well, there should be an asterisk attached to this finals. But if you kind of step back and do what you did and kind of listen to the whole thing because you were there, you know, virtually yeah. listening to it. Yes. Um, you kind of understand what he meant by it. Did he slip right. up by saying asterisk? Absolutely, it was a mistake. But it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the Lakers don't earn the, don't deserve the title and all those things. And by the way, it's okay to say that injuries played a part in the finals and still say that the uh-huh. Lakers deserve to win. I think that you could say that for several finals in the last decade, two decades. I mean, look at last year's finals in 2019. Did Toronto deserve that championship? Absolutely. It is so hard to win a championship that you just, if you win it, you've earned it, period, end of story. But the Warriors didn't have Kevin Durant. They didn't have, you know, Clay Thompson got injured in game six. They were just ravaged by injuries. And uh, I, I that played a part. And like Riley said, they didn't have Goran Dragic, who was their leading scorer. They barely had, they didn't have really a healthy Bam Adebayo. I mean, no. look, and, and LeBron has been on the other side of this, right? His first year in Cleveland, didn't have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love. He knows as well as anybody that injuries can play a major factor in who, who wins or loses an NBA championship. But um, the Lakers deserved it. I think Riley made that clear. But like you said, maybe a little bit of an incomplete feeling knowing that you, you could have at least been better, right? You could have been better than what you were. And it would have been nice to at least see what that was. And if they can bring everybody back next year, maybe they will get a chance to see what that was. That's a good point. And, and look, I, I think 
unfortunately, the conversation has shifted so much to, oh, Miami got a lot of luck on their run to the finals, et cetera, because they faced a, an incomplete Pacers team and a Milwaukee team that was devastated by injury and a Celtics team that was missing key players. I, I mean, I don't know why you have to denigrate what the Heat were able to accomplish in order to prove your point. Like, were the Lakers benefit? I mean, they also pointed out, I, I've gotten some comments myself, that Avery Bradley's loss in oh, the geez. finals – no. It was the same. The it was the equivalent so to what happened the loss of Bam and Gorons, which is the, ridiculous. It's insane. I mean, the, look, the Lakers didn't have to play the Clippers, which was good for them. The Heat beat the best two teams in the Eastern Conference in Milwaukee and Boston, at least during the regular season. I, and, you know, n- no disrespect to Toronto, but at least as far as postseason teams are concerned. Both teams deserve to be in the NBA Finals. The Lakers deserve to be there. But for one team to just kind of throw shade at one fan base, to throw shade at another fan base, or make excuses this way or that way is just completely ridiculous. Let's just all agree that the Lakers deserved it, but the Heat weren't at 100%, and maybe that wouldn't have made a difference. But the post we'll never know. played out the way. And that's, we'll that's, yeah, that's Riley's overall point. David, Halloween is coming up. I'm not a big Halloween fan, but I am a big fan of Halloween candy. Oh. If that if that's different, I think it is. Um, I wanted to ask you. I already know what my favorite Halloween candy is. It's pretty. It's 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 pretty easy for me. I I love Reese's peanut butter cups. I'm all in. You know, not just because the colors work with Halloween because of the orange wrapping, but I just peanut butter and chocolate. I'm in. I don't care. It's my favorite built bar flavor. It's my favorite candy. It's all those things. But I wanted to ask you what the most overrated Halloween candy was. Wes, you could not have picked a worse person to have this conversation with. I, I was not uh, allowed to – well, we never got to indulge in a whole heck of a lot of candy as kids, and I did not go trick-or-treating all that often. And so my expertise with candy was that it's almost all overrated. Like, I never really liked all that many of it. I was a big chocolate fan for the most part, like Hershey's, things of that sort. But I, I never really liked caramel. I never liked any kind of uh, almonds or coconut or anything like that, like Mounds Joy or whatever. I never liked any of that stuff. So I don't know, man. Like, to me, almost all of it is overrated. I guess I, I know that the easy answer is probably one that I know a lot of people hate, which is candy corn, which to me was absolute garbage, and I never even try, tried it. But I know some people swear by it. I love candy corn. Candy corn? Seriously? Like, yeah. what, what, what's the benefit? Isn't it just like rock-hard nonsense? It tastes like wax. And it's hey, hey, hey. And I can't I like wait that. to eat colorful. <laughs> so wait a minute. So this is just like an aesthetic thing for you? The accumulation of candy? It's not even about the taste? I, no, no, I just, I like the taste of candy corn. I, I like, I enjoy it. You like the taste of, of bright colored wax. So do you like yes. eat candles? Like on I haven't cage? tried it, but maybe I should. Candles are more expensive than candle corn, candy corn. That's the problem. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but but they're also available year round too. So maybe I don't Good know. Point. Maybe of a deal. Um, I don't know. Do you have a? You said you had a favorite. What was it again? Reese's. My, my favorite is Reese's peanut butter cups. Reese's pieces are good, but Reese's peanut butter cups are easily my favorite. Um, I also never had peanut butter until I was in my early twenties. That's that's so strange. Oh. Oh man, you know, look, look, people is, do not understand that, what it's like to grow up Cuban in Miami. It's an Hispanic like, thing. It's an Hispanic thing, right? It is for for some, for some parts. I mean, look, I, I I was not very Americanized other than my my fair dose of TV and things of that sort. But growing up in Miami and as a Cuban, as son of Cuban parents, like like that's a whole other world out there. You have no idea what it's like to have like the the typical PB and J and things of that sort. But yeah. so finally, mm-hmm. I, I went to college, and a friend of mine 
uh, was like, you've never had peanut butter. You made me a sandwich, and right then I was hooked. But So I, I have had peanut butter since So then. you like peanut butter now? I do, yes, but I have not had peanut butter okay. candy because, again, I never had that, ex- that experience as a kid. I'm going to get you a Reese's peanut butter cup, and I feel like I'm going to be you. your friend in college, and I'm going to change your life for the better. Um, Thank you. No, my girlfriend's Colombian. She's never had peanut butter. There so you go. It's, it's, it's something about, I don't know what that, whatever. Um, she won't eat it, though, so I'm hoping at least you'll try it. Um, no, the most overrated, just to bring this whole thing back full circle, most overrated Halloween candy, and I feel like I'm going to get crap for this, is the Starburst. I just don't understand what this love for Starburst is. I understand that the pink one is delicious, but when you have to single out one flavor as being easily the best and you're kind of throwing out the other flavors, that candy doesn't seem very good to me in totality. Like if you're buying an entire sleeve of Starburst, like get out of here. Plus they're way too chewy. I just, I don't get it. They're way too sweet. I don't understand the love for Starburst. People love getting Starburst. I was always the kid that was trading my Starburst for more Reese's. Like that was- But they all taste the same. I I thought they were just different colors. Am I wrong here? I think that's Skittles. I'm not really sure. Starburst definitely tastes different. You're right. You're right. Starburst, yeah, yeah. That's like that chewy gum kind of stuff. I remember now. It's been a while since I had Starburst, but yes. I can't recall if I had a favorite. I think it was the red one. I don't know what that flavor was. I like the red one. Strawberry? Strawberry or cherry or something Something flavored. Yeah, Skittles. I never had Skittles either, man. That's crazy. Sour Skittles are pretty good. You should try that. What's what's? I mean, there's got to be more crappy candy than just candy corn. There's a or... lot. I mean, you mentioned the Almond Joys. Those are garbage. I don't know why anybody would ever eat that. Uh, <laughs> coconut is so terrible. <laughs> In everything other than a pina colada, I won't. I won't consume it. Um... <laughs> there's got to be like a Laffy Taffy. Is that? Good I like stuff? Laffy Taffy. Okay. Smarties? Do people still eat Smarties? I had I had Smarties the other day. People do eat Smarties. I but people never. I don't know if I've ever met anybody that's bought Smarties. I feel like everybody's tried Smarties, but nobody's ever actually purchased Smarties. Which <laughs> you, you kind of get them. Oh, oh, and I I was actually prepared for this. Just so you know, I take these things very seriously, and I went a list. I went to an online list and saw worst Halloween candy. I did not recognize a whole bunch of these, but apparently people also get on occasion when they go trick or treating non candy related items. Have you ever? gone a non-candy related item while going trick-or-treating i have not but um i was talking with my parents the other day about this subject and they told me that my great grandmother used to give out pennies yes i have gotten pennies and change i was like wow thank you so much you old bat i hope you fall down the (laughs) stairs Okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. I was I was eight. I just I don't know. No, I didn't even course. like candy. Yeah, I, I, I didn't like candy, but I didn't like change either. I don't know. It just seemed like my, it was... my parents when they first moved into the the house that they live in now were not prepared for Halloween. I guess they moved in around that time or just forgot and uh, ended up running out of candy and gave away uh, cans of asparagus <laughs> to people. So uh, even Starbursts are better than cans of asparagus. Uh, but that'll do it for today's episode of Locked on NBA. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on NBA wherever you listen to podcasts. Do great reviews, say nice things about the show. Thank you to Rock Auto for sponsoring today's episode. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. We'll see you here back on Locked on NBA tomorrow morning.